Well, we have a little bit of a different kind of Sunday plan for us today. Um, if you're following along in our Word to the Wise series, you know that Chris was scheduled to preach today on the topic of alcohol. Chris is obviously not here today. Uh, he first and foremost wants you to know he's okay. And so uh, he's going to be fine. He did take a really hard spill on his bike on Friday. Uh, in his words, he said his front tire just hit a rut and he went down hard and fast. Uh, he was thankful to be wearing a helmet, so he's all good there. But he did break a collarbone and a couple of ribs. Uh, he still wanted to be here. He was like, I still want to preach. Uh, his wife and a few on our staff overrode him on that, so he uh, is home and recuperating now. And you can keep in, in your prayers for healing in the weeks ahead. Uh, he'll be pretty sore. But um, instead of him speaking live in person, we have a talk that he gave in 2014 on this topic from a similar series called The Art of Living, which was also based in the book of Proverbs. And so uh, we're going to go to that talk today. Uh, in that talk, it's five years ago, so I'm not sure if he has any more hair then, but he does have slightly darker hair, so you'll see that in the video. So let's go to that message. This message uh, presents a number of difficulties. Uh, first, uh, you, the listener, uh, probably already think you know where I'm going to go uh, with the message. I mean, like we're a Bible-believing church. I'm an evangelical pastor, and so you're going to think, well, you know, he's going to say some negative things about alcoholic consumption and things like that. And so, and you would be right, actually. I, I am going to do that. Um, but the message is more complex, and in many ways, this message is more difficult uh, than the message on porn. I'm probably going to be ruffling a few feathers uh, today, actually, with this message. It's a more complex topic. It's easier for uh, the speaker, myself, to be misunderstood in a message uh, like this. I'll try not to be misunderstood. I'm probably going to be, but I'll try to be as clear as I possibly uh, can. It's a complex subject, the idea of uh, the Bible and the alcohol. Um, and one of the things that makes it complex is, uh, is the audience, because uh, our church is filled with uh, a whole bunch of sincere, uh, fully devoted Christ followers who uh, sell alcoholic beverages, either in a restaurant that they own or a tavern that they own or a store that they own. Uh, we have uh, people who uh, make their living in some association with the brewery industry in um, Wisconsin, which is a large industry. In fact, uh, I think I won't ask for a show of hands, but if I said how many of us have had a drink or two in the last month and I asked for a show of hands in our audience here at Blackhawk Church, I would imagine, you know, 85, 90, maybe 95% of the hands would definitely go up. I know I would raise my hand. I've had a drink or two in the last month. So because of those factors, a message like this can be, it's complex. And the possibilities of me being misunderstood are really high. So why did the teaching team decide to do a talk on alcohol and alcoholic consumption? Well, one, we're going through Proverbs, and Proverbs has some things to say about it. But two, alcohol and alcoholic consumption in our state is a huge problem, and I hope that's not news to you. I hope you're already aware of that. 
A few years ago, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel did a series of articles called Wasted in Wisconsin. Here's a video that they put together. Watch this. This is how we do it in Madison. The reputation of uh, Madison being a party school um, is just as deserved, I hate to say it, today as it was back 20, 25 years ago. And a lot of that stems back to not just the University of Wisconsin-Madison and its reputation, but it really gets more at our culture of alcohol in the state of Wisconsin. Hey, baby. You get to keep going to your mess. Cheers, mate. It starts in the state capitol. It is throughout our culture in Wisconsin, but you have licensed establishments, many of them in communities all across the state. And it's really how we even, starting in the families in Wisconsin, be it northern Wisconsin or in the inner city of Milwaukee, and how we um, kind of accept and use a lot of alcohol in our lifestyles. Subsequently, what the Madison Police Department often ends up dealing with is young adults at 18, 19, 20-year-olds, some who started drinking in high school, now they come here unsupervised away from their families and they have to learn the trial and error process of growing up in an alcohol or an environment where alcohol is readily available. And a lot of kids, kids unfortunately have events happen to them and they suffer consequences that in some cases change the course of their lives or in a few rare situations actually will take a life. I went here because of prestige and the fact that I had good grades. I want to go to a great college. But, I mean, it's definitely a good time to go here. And everyone loves it here. I mean, football games are a blast. Mifflin's a blast. Halloween's a blast. But I think that's what sets us apart. I don't think that we drink more than any other school. I just think we have, like, organized drinking events, I guess. It's, it's like a cultural thing, I guess. Like, up in, uh, up in Minneapolis, you know, like their parents didn't grow up as drinkers, so their kids aren't huge drinkers. So. The Centers for Disease Control says five drinks on any occasion would be considered binge drinking. Well, it's pretty typical for a Friday or Saturday night in uh, downtown Madison. 1603. Um, we're in Bill's key shop. Two guys passed out behind the wheel of this car. Howdy. What's up, man? We, we, we will take people to detox and say, well, it's a rite of passage. When you come to Wisconsin, you've got to go to detox at least once in your four years here. We fill detox every Badger home game. That's 30 beds. We'll probably take 10 or 15 to the hospital. They're too drunk to go to detox. They're worried about them dying. Okay, this is our city. And uh, here we go. <laughs> We love our city. We love our city. What are we going to do about this? So uh, many of us uh, immediately dismiss uh, that piece that the Journal Sentinel put together because you look at that as a college campus event. You go, well, it's a part of campus life, and drinking and college life go together. They're cultural twins. Why aren't you doing this message when the students are back, like in September? Why are you doing the message now? And you easily dismiss that piece because it had a campus focus. If you do dismiss it, you are not listening to what the officer was saying. 
The lieutenant said this in the piece, our culture of alcohol starts in our families and how we accept and use a lot of alcohol in our lifestyles. Those students just don't arrive at UW-Madison. They come from families, and there is a culture of drinking in our state, which is all over our state. What gambling is to Nevada, drinking is to Wisconsin. We lead the nation in several categories that have to do with drinking, especially binge drinking. In the Journal Sentinel article, they had this uh, map, and you can see the date there is 2007. This is percentage of adults engaged in binge drinking the past month, state by state. You can see that we rank number one, and you might be thinking, well, that's old news, 2007, what about uh, today? Well, actually, I did my own research, and uh, the CDC says that we are still number one in the nation, except the data, the percentage points have gone up to 25.6%, and we're way ahead of the second state. It is a huge problem in our state. It costs taxpayers lots and lots of money. Here is a study done by the University of Wisconsin, some people here in Madison. The cost of excessive alcohol consumption in Wisconsin was $6.8 billion in 2012. Let's read that again. The cost of excessive alcohol consumption in Wisconsin was $6.8 billion. Wow. This cost is borne by everyone in the state, not just drinkers themselves. Revenue generated by current alcohol taxes covers less than 1% of the total economic cost. The same, same study said excessive drinking costs Dane County $654.8 million per year. A quarter of adults in the county reported binge drinking compared to 23% of the state's adults and 16% nationwide. It's a huge problem. It's not a problem necessarily politicians talk about, but it's a huge problem in our state, in our county, and in our city. As Christ followers, are we contributing to that problem or are we doing something about it. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs 20. This is the seventh in a series of ten messages. We're calling this series The Art of Living Wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And when the logo for the series comes up, I like to talk about, you know, this is obviously a rendition from Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, painted in 1520 in, in Italy. And the left-hand side is the paint by numbers. This represents the human uh, way of kind of thinking about journeying with God. But the, the kind of the God side is this uh, beautiful uh, painting. That is, uh, we want like paint by numbers. We want it to be black and white and very crystal clear. But it's more complex than that. The Hebrew word for wisdom is the word chokmah, and it's about the skill of living. And I really can't think of a better illustration of the difference between paint by numbers and skill 
artistry than this whole subject of alcohol and alcoholic consumption. Because many of us have come from backgrounds uh, where, okay, the Bible must be against it, so it's no drinking anytime ever for anyone. Black and white, paint by numbers, boom. Those of us who like paint by numbers want that message. But is that really what the Bible says? My message would be, no, it's more complex than that. Proverbs helps us to see that. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. This is uh, kind of typical of what the writer in Proverbs uh, tells us. Here you notice that uh, he personifies these uh, objects, this liquid. So wine is a mocker. So he's giving it a personality. This is typical of the writer. and wisdom literature, they do this. So uh, obviously the drink doesn't have a personality, but this is metaphor. So he's giving it a personality. Wine is a mocker. Beer is a brawler. Who has led astray by them is not wise. That is, they're like people that can actually lead you astray. And if you go astray, then and you don't have chokmah, that skill of living. But does that mean we should never, ever drink? And the Bible's always against that. That's not what that passage is saying. It's like the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowing that wine and beer are intoxicants, can hurt us, is one thing. How to handle them in our life is something completely different. It's like uh, a quip I read recently about knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, and not a vegetable. Wisdom is not putting one in a fruit salad. <laughs> one is about botany and how scientists classify fruits. The other is about the art of cooking. Knowing that wine and beer are intoxicants and can hurt us is one thing, but how we maneuver our life with them, around them, is something different. If we're led astray by them, we are not chokmah. We're not wise. In fact, the Bible has good things to say about alcohol, alcoholic beverages. Sometimes it can actually be kind of like a metaphor for blessing in our life. We see this uh, in Proverbs 3.10. Wine and beer function as symbols of prosperity in the good life. Proverbs 3.10 uh, reads uh, this way. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So here's like a positive, it's kind of a positive uh, thing. We also uh, see that wine and strong drink function as tokens of God's uh, blessings. There are some passages. Let's turn to the last passage, Deuteronomy 14. Take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy 14. If you do so, you're turning into the Torah, uh, the law. And let's read a kind of a long passage in Deuteronomy 14. I'll be starting with Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. Deuteronomy 14, 22. It's about tithing. There are different kinds of tithes that the Hebrew people were supposed to participate in. One was to give 
a tenth of all they had over to a giant feast or like a Thanksgiving celebration. We would see that as kind of wasteful and not frugal. But in the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew culture, this was part of their tithing system. They gave a tenth away and they consumed it. They ate it, basically, in a great festival. Deuteronomy 14, 22. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as his dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Let me stop there. So you see what this, when we think of tithing, we think of like money and coinage, but this is an agricultural society, so tithing was literally the tenth uh, of your herd, the tenth of your crops, and then you were to eat that eat it. You consume the tithe as a kind of a praise uh, to God. Verse 24. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord your God will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like. Cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. So that looks like we're supposed to have like a party before the Lord and consume alcoholic beverages as a part of the party. And that's exactly what it's saying, actually. It's a thanksgiving festival to God. Oh my gosh, fantastic. It's almost like raise a toast to God and praise him for the blessings that he has given to us. And some of you go, well, the wine back then wasn't the same. as No, 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 you can't do that here because that wine there and the Hebrew word for wine there and the Hebrew word for strong fermented drink means strong fermented drink, actually. It's the idea of having a celebration, a festival before God. It was like a yearly tithe. So wine could be used to celebrate uh, before uh, God. When it comes to uh, issues like uh, wine and alcohol and things like this, good to have a good Bible dictionary. Good Bible dictionary should be in every home because you can look up subjects like this and kind of get a kind of a really just kind of a thumbnail approach to uh, the subject. So here's an article from a new Bible dictionary if you look up wine. These two aspects of wine, its use and abuse, its benefits and its curse, its acceptance in God's sight and its abhorrence are interwoven into the fabric of the Old Testament so that it may gladden the heart of man or cause his mind to err. It can be associated with merriment or with anger. It can be used to uncover the shame of Noah or in the hands of Melchizedek to honor Abraham. And then if you go into the New Testament, you find the same kind of twofold approach. It can be really good or it can be really bad. New Bible Dictionary reads, John the Baptist is to abstain from wine in view of his special commission. He practiced, he was like a, a Nazarite, special Hebrew thing. But, he, but this does not imply 
that of itself wine is evil. For Jesus is not only present at the wedding of Cain of Galilee, but when the wine fails, he replenishes the supply in extraordinary, ample measure. And later, his readiness to eat and drink with publicans and sinners draws forth the accusation that he is a gluttonous and a wine bibber. Not only did Jesus drink wine, but he created wine, and at the wedding feast, he created an awful lot of this wine. And it was the Mater D at the feast in Canaan that said it was the best wine. All alcoholics are familiar with the verse in the New Testament where Paul commands Timothy to have a little wine for his stomach. Stop drinking only water. Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So talking about wine and beer and alcohol from the Bible can be complex and confusing because you have these verses that say it can be kind of a blessing. It's like a token of God's blessing in our life. And Jesus drank alcoholic beverages. I mean, there, there you go. But there's also the darker side of alcohol, the more deceptive side. And the writer of Proverbs gets into that. Take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, verse 29. Proverbs 23, 29. Here you see the writer does the same thing as he did in chapter 20. He personifies uh, the alcoholic beverage itself. He kind of thrusts the reader into like a drama and kind of imagines a scenario. Proverbs 23, 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake, poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights. Your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? So the writer is, is putting like the reader as a pupil into a drama and imagining what will happen to you if you kind of fall in love with this beverage. As you read the text, you can see the person's kind of hovering over kind of maybe a red Merlot or something uh, like that. He says it sparkles. Did you see that in verse 31? Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup. I'm reading from the 2011 New International Version. You have, I know there's all kinds of different versions out there, but most of the English versions do a bad job of translating here because they use something like sparkles or twinkles or something like that. Really, the literal Hebrew word has the meaning of an eye, it's, but it's hard for us to follow what that actually means. The Hebrew word is the, the word for eye. It's a very common word. Here, Retranslation, do not gaze at wine when it is red, verse 31, when its eye is in the cup, 
when it goes down smoothly. So you picture like someone who's hovering over like a bowl of red wine and their bloodshot eyes are looking down and kind of the mirror surface is reflecting back their eye and it's like now the wine has an eye and it's looking at you and it's pulling you in to its like seduction. And the writer is saying, do not be deceived because it can bite you. Now, the problem with a message like this is that we're kind of, well, we're like in a church service and I've got a Bible and you have Bibles and we're reading Bible passages and the lights are bright and all this kind of thing. And so it's like, it's very kind of a sterile environment. But if things were changed and if we were in a normal, like one of your normal environments where drinking becomes a temptation, heck, in many of our jobs, alcoholic consumption is just kind of part, this is kind of what people do. It's kind of the way you do business in a lot of situations. It wouldn't be like we're in church, but we're actually in a restaurant where if we don't have a glass of wine or we're on a a trip, maybe it's a golf outing, if we don't have a beer, it's like, what? Some of our professions that we are involved in, alcohol is very much a part of it, actually. Some of us have lifestyles where we're in a creative profession. The acting profession is a creative profession. Many actors are famous for their struggles with alcohol. Robin Williams, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins uh, said not too long ago, booze makes you move, it gets you places. I moved half around the world. It's like being on speed, it's great. And for a while it's creative. Booze has been with civilization since the beginning of time. There's something glorious about it. The tragic thing about it is that it's got the scorpion tail. It finally turns around and bites you. You can just like YouTube Robin Williams or Hopkins and you'll see their struggles. Many actors, many musicians, many people struggle with alcoholism. Hopkins says, It's like a scorpion. Our writer here says it's like a viper. In the end, it bites like a snake, poisons like a viper. On the left-hand side is what like Madison Avenue wants us to think about alcohol. When you watch the beer commercials and the wine commercials, this is, yeah, it's all awesome, awesome. But we never see that other side, do we? as they're trying to sell the product to us. You guys were being manipulated by people who know how to do marketing. They don't show you that other side. But indeed, alcohol can bite like a viper. Centers for Disease Control says that one out of 10 adult deaths are alcohol related. Heck, forget the CDC. Let's do our own survey. How many of us in this room How many of you know someone who has died as a result of some alcoholic accident or has their life been ruined by alcohol? If you know someone like that, raise your hand right now. Everybody look around the room. We all know that. What gambling is in Nevada, drinking is in Wisconsin, and it's a huge problem. What are we doing about it as Christ followers? What can we do about it? 
Well, I thought uh, we probably ought to just start right here at our own church and in our own homes. So I thought I would kind of give a challenge uh, to the church today. And uh, I prayed about this and thought about it a lot because it's kind of a bold challenge. Talked to the teaching team about it. We thought, well, let's just go ahead and do this challenge. So here is the challenge. This is what I'd like you uh, to do. I would like you to fast from alcohol for a period of time. And I'm just going to throw out two weeks. Just fast for two weeks from alcohol. Choose your two weeks. Might not be these next two weeks, might be a few weeks from now, but just choose two weeks and demonstrate to yourself and to your family that no, it's not a problem at all for you. It's like chewing gum. You can chew it or you don't have to chew it at all. You have no problem with it at all. Now, I realize that for binge drinkers, a challenge like this might not necessarily get to the core issue because in binge drinking, uh, you can actually go for weeks and weeks and maybe months without ever having a drink. The Center for Disease Control says that binge drinkers are not necessarily alcoholics. A binge drinker for a woman is someone who has uh, four drinks or more in a two to three hour period. Or for a man, five drinks or more in a two to three hour period. Binge drinkers are not necessarily alcoholics or alcoholic dependent. They can go months and weeks without drinking. I know that, but I thought this challenge would be a good challenge anyway because I have kind of a personal motive in the challenge and there's a personal story behind it. The story is about my father-in-law. His name was Martin. He died in November of 07, the week that we moved into Brader Way. While we were celebrating moving into this building, my wife was grieving the loss of her father. Martin would never have admitted that he had a drinking problem. Martin would actually have agreed with most of everything that I would have said in this message. He would have especially liked the passage from Deuteronomy 14. He would have liked that passage. But he would have never, ever admitted that he had a drinking problem. His first wife, Dolores, had a drinking problem. She died in 1970 when my wife was 14. She died from cirrhosis of the liver. She was an alcoholic. He said, Dolores, Dolores, she had a drinking problem, but I don't have a problem. The reason I put the challenge in is that Martin would not have been able to do that challenge. He could not go for two weeks without drinking. Here's the reason I put the challenge in is because I want you to actually talk about it. Like, as, as a community, life groups, friends, family. Because sure as I'm sitting here, there are a lot of Martins listening to me right now. Your family doesn't want to talk to you about this because <laughs> it doesn't get anywhere because you deny it immediately. So I'm giving everybody permission to talk about the challenge. Just talk about it. Maybe you think, Pastor Chris is crazy. That's a silly challenge. I don't like that challenge. Or I think it's a good challenge. What do you think about it as a family? Talk about it. It gives the family of Martin an opportunity to talk out loud about a problem that everybody in your family is dancing around. Many of us dread family functions. 
we don't want to go to a football game because of the beer. But we can't talk about it. So the problem's not out there, Blackhawk Church. It's right here. So there's the challenge. Can you go two weeks? Can you fast from it? Talk about it as a family. We're not a condemning place here, Blackhawk. We're trying to be a helpful place of grace. This is a big problem in our culture. Can we talk about it as a community? So there you go. Today can be a day where you hated coming to church because of this message. Or it can be a day when in your family, serious conversation can start taking place. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now for folks who wish they weren't here. They are sweating. They're, they're upset. They feel guilty. Uh, maybe dirty. Let's pray, Father, for them. I pray, Father, for those of us who feel that way. And the message might have hit a little too close to home. I pray, Father, for those of us who live with Martins or Marys or whoever, people who struggle, people who struggle talking about it because whenever they bring it up, it gets put away quickly. I pray for those of us who, who dread going to family functions because of the, the shadow of this dark viper. I pray, Father, that you would help us by the power of your spirit move towards something that is very difficult in our culture. I pray, Father, that you would help us and that you would help us by the power of your spirit. Be a place of grace, be a place of love, a place where we can get help. I pray, Father, that you would just empower us by the power of your spirit, make this a different and a new day for many families in this church. Pray this in Christ's name, for the sake of his reputation, all God's people said. Well, you heard Chris talk about that challenge. Um, he encouraged all of us to fast from alcohol for two weeks. And now it's been a few years since he gave that talk. And we got a lot of feedback from that talk. We had a number of people who said, that talk, that message changed my life. And specifically, one of them said, that challenge is what did it. Uh, the challenge to, um, to take two weeks, uh, whether alcohol is any place in your life at all, to take two weeks uh, away from it. That uh, was a huge challenge in some people. We actually heard from others, family members of people who struggle and wrestle with it, that actually they would love to see us consider a longer challenge, um, a longer way to demonstrate that alcohol doesn't have a grip on someone's life. And so Chris, in preparing this talk, he wanted to actually issue the challenge to our church community to consider 30 days of fasting from alcohol. Whether you have alcohol in your day-to-day -day life in any way, uh, whether you would say you wrestle with it or not, demonstrate to yourself and demonstrate to those around you that alcohol does not have a grip on your life. 
So that's the challenge that we want to issue today. We want to take uh, our church community, we want to lead uh, from that place. We want to encourage you to consider taking a 30-day challenge to fast from alcohol. I know it can be pretty quick to go towards like legalism with that. Uh, it can be quick to go towards a shame, we're trying to shame you, or something like that. That's not at all what this is about. Uh, we want to just encourage all of us. We're all working on what it means to live artfully and skillfully in a culture where alcohol use is rampant. And so we want to just encourage you towards that challenge today. If Chris were here, that's what he would be doing with you. He'd be saying, take this 30-day challenge. You determine when, you determine how you want to do it, but take the challenge, demonstrate to yourself and demonstrate to your family that alcohol doesn't have a grip in your life. We also want you to know that this comes from a place um, of knowing that alcohol has ruined so many lives. And so if you're a person who has wrestled with it yourself, uh, if you're a person for whom addiction of any kind is a difficulty in your life, we want you to know this is a place of grace. And we want you to know that we are all on a journey in so many ways in our lives and in our walk with Christ. And so uh, that's okay, and we are so glad uh, that you're here and that you're part of this community. Uh, We want this to be a place where we can see people's lives change. Uh, Whether you're a person who wrestles with it yourself whether you're a family member who has lived it, uh, we want you to know that there is hope, and there is hope in Christ. And we're gonna share with you one story, this is a more recent story, uh, from one of the baptisms a couple years ago, or just a year ago, a story of Shasta, who lived uh, some of this experience and found hope and grace in Christ. So let's check out her story. Ever since I was little, my mom has had issues with alcohol. She has used alcohol to cope with the stresses in her life, and I didn't really notice it until I was in high school. That's when I started realizing how my home life was different than than my friends' home home lives. And um, my mom would drink during the week or on the weekends, and it was always a a toss-up of whether or not she was gonna come home drunk or sober that night. My mom's drinking was really getting in the way of our relationship and and causing a lot of dysfunction in our lives, especially since we uh, were a really low-income family, and so that was making uh, a really big impact on our, our livelihood. But at the time, I just saw it as she was choosing alcohol over me again and again, and this really dug into my self-worth. I, I felt that I wasn't good enough to, to make my mom love me. I, I went to college and I, I was still trying to, to seek that affirmation and validation from other people and I was still really struggling with my self-worth and I was trying to find my self-worth in relationships and when that wasn't working I was wondering what was wrong with me like why wasn't anybody choosing me but it wasn't until my sophomore year of college that he finally got my attention but I had seen God as one who I needed to to earn love from just like I was trying to earn love from my mom I didn't know that there was such thing as a personal relationship with God. And the fall of my junior year, I made that decision to follow Jesus. So the resentment I felt towards my mom, it wasn't um, until I accepted Christ that I started to realize and understand why she she did what she did. So learning about forgiveness through um, being a Christian really helped me heal from that. Following Jesus is the best decision I've ever made because it's changed my life so, so much. It's made me see that I 
am loved by the creator of the universe and I um, have so much worth in Christ.